Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Impossible Podcast. Today's episode is with Sean Ogle, one of my good friends, founder of Location Rebel, a site that helps people quit their jobs and start lifestyle businesses and be location independent. I've known Sean for going on eight years now, I want to say, and he is one of the first people I ever saw that started a blog and I looked at him and I said, hey, I think I might be able to do that too. I believe I emailed him out of the blue and it was like, hey, I'm reading what's going on. I really like what you're up to. I'm trying to maybe do something similar. I started my blog about a year later and we've kept in touch since. We've gone to Jordan. We have done a lot of different adventures over the years. It's been really cool getting to know Sean over the last eight years, kind of seeing how our lives have gone in parallel. And I got him on today to talk about lifestyle businesses, his journey, how he went from a cubicle to doing things on his own terms and doing things like visiting the top 100 golf courses in the world and visiting the top 100 bars and basically taking these things and these interests that he has in his life and turning them into quests and creating a good story about that. So we talk about that. We talk about the aspects of starting a business if you're thinking about it and how people can get started even now in 2018 with that. But before we get into the episode, if you guys want to support the podcast, first of all, check out impossiblegear.com. If you don't have one by now, you should know that it is the best way to be comfortable while doing something uncomfortable. So check it out. They're awesome. They're super comfortable. And we're coming out with even more gear here soon. So stay tuned. Also, check out MoveWellApp.com. MoveWell app is the best mobility and injury prevention app out there. We built this right after I got hurt in Patagonia and I had to do rehab and I hated rehab and I was injured and I couldn't train. I couldn't get stronger because my body was broken. So we built this app to be, create routines for you guys so you can build yourself back up, get healthy again so you can start training and reaching your potential. I talked to a lot of people who were interested in the most recent fitness course we did called the initiation, but they had some sort of injury hampering them that they never took care of. This type of thing, mobility work, move all app will help you do that, will help you get better, get stronger, get faster, and get over those past injuries uh, in less than 10 minutes a day. They're super fast routines. You add them to your routine overall throughout the day, and it's going to help you feel better. It's going to help you move better. That's why we called it Move Well. So check it out, movewellapp.com. It's an iOS app right now, but there's new stuff coming up on the horizon. So stay tuned and I'll have an announcement for you here soon on that. Other than that, I think we are good to go. So without further ado, let me jump in to my interview with Sean Ogle of Location Rebel. So we're trying something new here. I'm doing my first in-person podcast with my longtime friend, Sean Ogle of Location Rebel. Sean, it's good to be at your house hanging out. Yeah, it only took you 30 minutes to figure out the audio setup. Congratulations. Yeah. So we got the new setup and uh, I'm glad I did this with Sean so we could uh, just mess around with it. And uh, we have 12 Sean intros that we'll be going through and messing around with. It'll be great. <laughs> So today, I'm really pumped. I've been trying to get Sean on the podcast. We were going to do it via Skype or Zencaster, but I was going to be out in Portland. So we decided to do it on his, what is his porch? My back, back deck, porch. which is uh, an unseasonably warm day here in Portland, which we're not used to, but found a nice spot in the shade with a cool breeze and uh, yeah, perfect podcasting weather. Yeah, that's a good spot. So for those of you guys who don't know who Sean Ogle is, let me do a quick introduction. Sean is founder of Location Rebel, formerly Location 180. And Sean was one of the first people I ever read uh, when getting into the online space. And Sean, I've told him multiple times that he was the first person that made me think that I could do something as far as starting my own business, uh, living my life my own way, and doing something impossible. I think he was one of the first people I ever emailed when I was like, hey, I, uh, I'm thinking about starting a blog. Uh, do you have any advice for me? And Sean was I don't even know what you said. I don't know if you were, I think you responded, but I think it was just like, who is this guy? What is he doing? But you were very nice to me and let I'm me. I'm sure we could dig up the email. I'm just excited to start getting those royalty checks in the mail. 10%. I'll take it. There we go. But Sean started Location Rebel. Sean, if you just want to give people a quick background, most people are probably familiar uh, with your stuff already, but just a quick background of 
you know, how you started Location Rebel, Location 180, and where that came from. Yeah, so I had the most, like, average, middle-class upbringing imaginable. Always knew what I was going to do. It was always the path of least resistance. When I was in sixth grade, I knew I was going to go to Oregon State University, study finance. You know, six months before I graduated, I had a job lined up as a portfolio analyst. And very quickly, I realized that my dreams of having an office with a view and having a suit and tie were really not nearly as cool as I thought they were going to be. And I also was starting in July of 2007, which, as we know, is basically the worst time in history to get into finance. So by February 2009, the market had collapsed. My boss was unhappy. I was unhappy. Our clients were unhappy. So I used all my vacation time for the year. I took off to Rio for Carnival with my friend Ryan. We took a two-week trip. We went hang gliding over Rio. We danced in the Carnival Parade. We went to Iguazu Falls. We had this amazing trip. And it was on that trip I realized, like, I should be able to do this whenever I wanted. You know, I knew that I wanted to travel more and I knew I wanted to own my own business and I wasn't getting closer to either of those things. The nail in the coffin was the day that I got back. My boss informed me I was getting a 20% pay cut (laughs) due to the state of the economy and the business and everything. And to make a long story short, I ended up starting a blog called Location Rebel, going through and documenting my quarter life crisis. Six months later, I left my job. I sold my car. I moved to Thailand, which is kind of where I learned how to do online marketing. I learned how to build an online business. And now for the last eight years, that's what I've been helping people do is build small businesses that allow them to travel and do more of the stuff they like to do in life. What's funny about this is all that started before you quit your job. Like You didn't start the blog on your trip to Thailand after you quit your job. I remember reading some of the first blog posts. I think think actually how I found you was you did a guest post for Chris Gilbo. Yeah. And... I think I somehow stumbled onto your site and then found like the very early blog post about your buddy Ryan quitting his job, moving to Hawaii. And literally from like maybe the first month or two of Location 180, I remember I was at my, I don't know if I was in Indianapolis or if I was in Milwaukee at that time. I think it was in Indianapolis. And I was like, this guy is doing stuff and uh, he's talking about stuff that seems like stuff I want to do. That was the cool thing about the blog at the time is you look at people like, you know, Chris or Tim Ferriss, and it was kind of they all of a sudden came out of nowhere. All of a sudden they were a huge deal. They had best-selling books. You never got to see kind of the path that they took to get there. With me, you know, I started this blog where I was clueless. Like you got to see, I mean, you talk about it a lot. I don't know why you bring it up this much, but (laughs) I used to do happy hour of the weeks where I would write about happy hours in Portland. I would write about the benefits of daydreaming and what to do when you don't know what to do. I mean, I was like totally clueless trying to figure out my life and I was just blogging about it. And it turns out there are and there were a lot of people that were equally as clueless to me, not the least of which is yourself. <laughs> there we go. And uh, somehow I'm I'm still alive and I'm working. But uh, the happy hour thing I always bring up because I think it's just, it's funny to me that everybody always sees the polished versions of everything. And I know people that will go back and edit their archives to be like, oh, I want to take out this blog post that was like, oh, that's not what my brand is today. Or yeah. I want to change something or I want people to think about me as something different. And the thing that's been really cool about you know, Location 180 and Location Rebels, you know, I've left all of my archives up there, even though some stuff is maybe less relevant than it should be now. Right. But I kind of took that cue from, I remember looking at the Sean, you know, nine months before he quit his job and being like, he doesn't own his own business. He's not necessarily running anything, but he's kind of in that trajectory that I want to go at. And I could latch onto that. And I think if it would have been, I was reading Chris, I think I was reading Tim, I was reading all these other people. And they were so far along that there was almost no place for you to even get started yeah and so that's what i liked about those and so that's why i bring it up it's not a it's kind of funny because it's not necessarily you're not doing happy hour reviews but well i think it was cool because it was relatable and that's what i've tried to continue to maintain with the brand over you know now it's been around for over nine years yeah you know you can go back into the archives and you can go to may of 2009 and you can still see just how clueless i was and then you can see the transformation i went through when i left my job to when i moved to a foreign country to when i came back from a foreign country to when I started doing, you know, freelancing work to sustain it all the way up to now, you know, accomplishing things on my bucket list and taking these big elaborate, you know, trips, which was kind of always my dream. I still try and do that in an approachable, relatable way because I'm I'm not one of those people that's become, you know, some guru or anything. I'm just an average dude that's figured a few things out. And, you know, I've kind of devoted my life to trying to help other people, you know, do a similar thing in their life. What's funny is syncing up the different timelines. So I think when you were quitting your job and finally going to Thailand, I was getting laid off from my part-time work at UPS. But I remember specifically part of part of my original story is, you know, I was looking at all these people doing interesting things and Chris was traveling to every country in the world. You were 
quitting your job, go to Thailand. I'm like, I can't even quit a job because I can't even get a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but some things never change. Still can't get a job, man. Sean in 2009, quitting your job, going to Thailand, transitioning that into building a business and yeah. building a couple different businesses and websites and projects that you're working on right now. As far as when people want to get into business, like you get people all the time, I just got an email today saying, literally, I think the question was, I want to make money. How do I do it? And I was like, wrong question. Yeah, wrong question. <laughs> let's, let's back up a little bit. But one of the things that's interesting about building a business, and I talk a lot about mindset, fitness, and kind of mastering your mindset through those specific aspects. But one of the things I found is a lot of those things apply directly into business and just how I approach life and, and creating new things. But when people are coming up to you and, and trying, what are some stumbling blocks that people run into when they're thinking about like coming up with a business idea or trying to take that first step? One of the biggest problems people have is because they don't know what to do, they don't, they don't think they have an idea, they use that as a reason to get hung up and not make progress. So rather than actively do something to try and figure out what that idea is, or rather than actively try and build skills, they're going to help them down the road once they figure out what that idea is, they just don't do anything. They talk about it. They're like, ah, I'm going to start a business, but I've, I don't know what that's going to be yet. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes is there's always things you can do to get closer to that goal, even if you don't know exactly how the pieces are going to fit together. You know, one of the things I talk about is building a training ground to build your skills. So if you don't know what to do, if you're sitting here right now, maybe you've thought about having an online business or a blog, but you're not sure what that idea is, go buy a domain name, <laughs> get a hosting account, set up a WordPress blog. You can do this in 10 minutes. If you don't know what name to use, use a variation of yourname.com or something similar and use that new site as a training ground. That way you can now start practicing things like search engine optimization and copywriting and the basics of design, social media for business, improving you know your content writing skills. No matter what you decide to do in the future, all of those things are going to be beneficial. And so even if you don't know what your idea is, that doesn't have to stop you from doing what I did, which was set up a blog and just write about all the random thing. I mean, <laughs> you can go back to my archives, like so many random topics that have nothing to do with anything. But by going through that process, you know, over the course of a year or two, I figured out what my niche was and I figured out how I was going to be able to help people. But I never would have done that had I not had all those random other topics and started learning these skills. When you realize how fast you can set up a blog, it's kind of a game changer. Yeah, for I you, how many how many blogs have you set up over oh the God. years? How many uh, domains do you own? Oh no, we can't talk about this right now. This is a uh, <laughs> this is an intervention right now. <laughs> when you figure out how fast it, I can almost divide my life into like pre learning how to make a website and after yeah learning how to make a website. And once you realize that, uh, Steve Jobs has the quote of you know all these things around you were built by people who are no smarter than you, and you realize oh all these websites around me are built by people who are definitely not smarter than me, and I can go make something like this, you realize all these ideas that you've got in your head that you're just sitting on. Once you have that little skill to like, hey, I'm going to go try this thing, you can start testing things out. And I've seen that same thing where people just get stuck on be like, I have these ideas. And they're, two years later, you still have the same idea. You haven't done anything with it. Test it out. Try it out. See if you don't like it. And if you don't, well, try a new thing. And that reminds me a little bit. So, you know, we mentioned Chris Gillibo, and he's been one of my mentors from the beginning. And actually, in his first book, The Art of Nonconformity, there was a chapter where he tells a little bit about my story. And I think the chapter was like something to the effect of like the twin stories of Nate and Sean. And the concept was he used to like once a year, he would go back to like Alabama and he would see this guy every year who was not happy with what he was doing. He's like, Chris, like, I want to start something on my own. How do I do it? And Chris would give him advice and tell him what to do. And then the next year, he'd come back. He's like, Chris, it's great to see you. I want to start something on my own. What do I do? And give him the same advice. And this happened every year for like three or four years. And every year, he never took any action. Whereas I came in, and I got Chris to meet me for a cup of coffee. I had to lie to my boss and tell him that I was going to a doctor's office. Showed up like in the hipster neighborhood of Portland wearing like an ill-fitting suit and tie. And Chris just starts like laughing at me when I walk in to meet him for the first time. But he was the one that encouraged me to start a blog. And specifically, he encouraged me to publish my bucket list to hold myself accountable for all the things that I was talking about wanting to do. So that was the very first post that I published on my site. But what ended up happening was, you know, a month later, I went back to Chris and said, hey, I've got a site. I've got a bucket list. What do I do now? And he gave me more advice, and I did it. And 11 months later, I knew that I had made a lot of progress when instead of meeting in the hipster neighborhood of Portland, we were meeting in the hipster neighborhood of Bangkok. 
and <laughs> we we got together for for coffee in Bangkok and you know I think that kind of illustrates the importance of taking action even if you don't necessarily know what you're taking action towards or you don't know exactly you know what steps to take take whatever steps in front of you and go from there people get real worried when you're like they don't know exactly how everything's going to play out and it's sometimes it's just take that step learn that skill don't have some grand plan for it just figure it out and then take the next step. Well, and it's something that I've learned. It's kind of, uh, you know, I've talked a lot in the past about uncertainty and the concept of uncertainty and how the only thing any of us are actually afraid of is uncertainty. It's like you're not afraid of the the dark. You're afraid of the uncertainty surrounding whether or not there's something lurking in the shadows. You're not afraid of a spider. You're afraid of the uncertainty of whether or not it's going to bite you. And so most people, you know, 95% of people will live in a state of fearing uncertainty. You know, they want nothing to do with it. They try and stay as far away from that as possible. Whereas then you'll get a small subset of people that will overcome the uncertainty. And that's like when I decided to leave my job and move to Thailand, it's like I had no idea what I was going to do. I was still terrified, but I'm going to do it anyway and I'm going to overcome that uncertainty. And then finally, and this is where most successful entrepreneurs reside. This is where I think most people that are doing something meaningful and interesting reside, you know, especially a lot of the people that are doing big physical endeavors like you've interviewed in the past. And that's embracing the uncertainty. Because when you embrace the fact that there's uncertainty in everything, it kind of means that you can create whatever future you want. And uncertainty kind of becomes an asset rather than something to fear. And I think that's kind of an important mental shift that I've made, you know, over the course of uh, the last few years. This is the Joker saying, Batman, people just afraid if there's no plan, even if the plan is horrifying, and things are going according to plan, people are okay with it. Yep. And when there's no plan, people freak out. Exactly. So uh, lessons from the Joker. <laughs> Do you have an estimate how many people you've helped start different online projects or businesses over the years? You know, probably a few thousand. We've got over 2,500 members in our Location Rebel community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have been very successful building, you know, lifestyle businesses and businesses allow them to, you know, kind of have the freedom to do more of the things they want to do. But then you've got you know, however many countless thousands of other readers that, Mm -hmm. you know, people like you, for instance, you email me, I give you some advice and you go and do things. So obviously that's not something I can take a lot of credit for, but I think that the message has certainly influenced uh, quite a few people. So once people get started and they, you know, maybe they take those first few steps and they actually get down the road, they've built a few skills and they start either selling them as a freelancer or, you know, building out a product, you know, Seth Godin talks about the dip, people start hitting walls, like it's not as sexy as it always looks. Yep. I'm curious on a couple fronts, one, where you've run into that in the past with your businesses, but then also where you see other people run in and kind of the different reactions we can talk about there. Yeah, I think that there's so many different ways we can look at that. (laughs) But I think that different people are good at different aspects of business. I don't think most people are good at going from, you know, idea all the way to a, you know, nine figure business, for Mm -hmm. instance. So one of the things I've learned is I'm really good at going from zero to a quarter million dollars. You know, that's like where my sweet spot is. I can like build a brand. I can build trust. I can get kind of those, you know, initial customers, initial clients. Scaling beyond that is a lot more difficult for me. I haven't necessarily figured that out as much. So I know that I can help people get to the point where they're making, say, three grand a month because, you know, that's I've done that numerous times with numerous businesses and You know, so I think that understanding where your skills are going to be most successful, I think is important. You know, if you know you're the kind of person that's able to scale things and you've done that maybe in your day job, then finding someone who's already started a business and kind of coming on board, I think can be a a really good way to go. You know that you're kind of like me and like after a certain point, you're going to kind of hit a plateau and you you know need to figure out what's next. Then surrounding yourself with, you know, other people that have those complementary skill sets, I think is important. One of the underrated opportunities I see for a lot of people who want to quit their job or have more autonomy in their business and either be a co-owner or, you know, at least have influence over what's going on is I know a lot of my friends have, you know, real stable jobs at big companies. And so they're really good at the processes stuff of yep. running a big company, but they don't have influence. They don't have autonomy. They can't really no location independence. They can't really do what they want whenever they want. And one of the underrated opportunities I've seen like in this space and you know, with almost all of my entrepreneurial friends is everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Every, like this entrepreneur move is sexy for a lot of people. Yeah. But almost every entrepreneur I know needs like an operations person. And if someone's really good at operations and you show up and you're like, hey, I see what you're doing. I like what you're doing. And I'm going to help you systematize, get the operations under control and start scaling. I know 
20 people right now that would be yeah. like, yes, I'll hire you today. And, you know, you maybe get a piece of the business or whatever. And that's like an easy hack for someone who's really good at that in their day to day job to jump into something that they believe in and, and can mess around with and get a lot more, you know, maybe they don't get their day job salary, but they get a lot of other types of currencies and other types of Absolutely. leverage. Absolutely. Because in my experience, at least the people that are starting kind of lifestyle businesses or businesses around, you know, passions or hobbies, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm. There's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of creativity, you know, generally creating content and things like that, creating products like that comes easy to people like you and me. But, you know, then most of the time, those types of people are not the super organized, systematized, you know, get everything, you know, in the point where everything's kind of moving well. And like, I know that I'm all over the place with that type of stuff. And if it weren't for some of the people I've surrounded myself with that can help it to make sure it's all being focused in the right way, things would be a mess. And so I think that's a, a huge opportunity. And the other thing I think is underrated is you know, we've had a lot of people come in through our location rebel community and the, the general sell is like, yeah, start your own business. But what a lot of what we've seen a lot of people do is they come in and they start a business kind of on the side. They learn some of these skills, but then they take all the skills they learned and then they just go get a remote job for somebody else. And so they get a lot of the autonomy. They get a lot of the freedom. They get to work from anywhere, but then they still have the stability of a day job and a salary. And, you know, often for a lot of people, that's a better fit is, you know, still working for someone else. But, you know, now the way globalization is going, there's so many opportunities to be able to work for a company and just do it remotely. It's interesting. I have a friend who's an accountant and I told him exact same thing. Like You could do what you're doing. If your your firm doesn't want you to work remotely, you can do what you're doing for outsourced like CFO for a half a dozen entrepreneurs and I introduce you to tomorrow and yeah. you'd have their business and there's your remote there like you, you don't need a business idea like do what you're doing just find maybe a different set of customers to go after totally that's always been really interesting to me because people get stuck on this idea that you have to come up with like the new slanket or yeah. whatever the heck you know <laughs> it's not always that complicated you don't always have to be you know, that crazy with things. Yeah. People kind of think it's like, oh, I'm going to start my thing and I'm going to do something totally different than what I'm doing. But often the like best bridge into, you know, something that maybe provides a little bit of a different lifestyle is just doing the same things you're doing in a different capacity, putting a little bit of a spin on it. So talking about lifestyle, one of the things that's been kind of fun, you know, just talking with you over the years is the different types of some people optimize, you know, solely for you, you see VC companies, they're raising tens of millions of dollars and their goal is to make $100 million. If they don't make $100 million, they're a failure. One yeah. of the things that I liked about, you know, kind of how you built your business is you optimize for the things that you want in your life and building it around adventure, travel, these different quests that you have. Mm -hmm. And you started with the bucket list, yep. but then you've kind of gone off into these other quests that you've built and some have become businesses and projects. And yeah. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, the bucket list was kind of the initial thing. You know, when I was in my day job and I wasn't doing anything interesting, I said, okay, I'm going to create this list and I want to try and check off like one thing a month. So one of the first things I did was climb a mountain. So I went and climbed. It was the South Sister. It was like third highest mountain in Oregon. It's not like a real mountain like you probably go climb, but, you know, it was a big accomplishment. You know, and I had things like I wanted to make, you know, on average, you know, $10 a day on the Internet for a whole year. And, you know, I wanted to go to Cuba and smoke a cigar before the embargo was lifted. And within a couple of years, I had done all of these things, which was just kind of shocking to me. And, you know, I started learning as like these experiences were way more fulfilling than a lot of the other things in my life. You know, those are the things you're going to talk about, uh, you know, as you get older and those are the memories you have. And so one of the things I realized is that, you know, I had other hobbies and other passions and things that I was interested in. I was traveling a lot and I still do. I travel about three or four months out of the year. There was other quests that, you know, were kind of niche specific bucket lists almost that I could apply to my travels that I think were going to make, you know, the experiences more fulfilling for me. So one of the things that I'm really into is golf. And I've now started a golf brand called Breaking 80 and turned that into a, a nice little business. But to start it, you know, I realized I like photography. I'm traveling. I like playing unique and interesting golf courses. So I ended up creating a goal of trying to play the top 100 golf courses in the world and in the United States. They're two different lists. And so um, I'm getting close to have been played about half of the top 100 golf courses in the world, which has been really exciting. I didn't realize you were that far. I've made some progress yeah. over the last couple of years. But what's so cool about it is it's taken me to places I never would have gone, you know, otherwise. Like there was a one course that was like an hour and a half outside Bangkok. 
And the only members are like the 30 richest guys in Thailand. So this is a place I do not belong at all that I never would have seen. It was one of the most surreal golf experiences or, you know, travel experiences in my life. And I've met all kinds of people. I've had all kinds of cool stories. I've been in all these places that are like, you know, second homes to like billionaires and like very much places I would never have access to otherwise because of this quest, which has been really cool. And then the other one is I've realized that, you know, when I go to big cities, I don't necessarily know where to start. You know, you go to London, it's like, okay, do I go to Big Ben? Do I go to the Tate Modern? Like, where do I go? So I wanted to find a better way to experience different aspects of cities and kind of have a starting point. So I've got a a little bit of a thing for craft cocktails, kind of a cocktail snob. So somehow I stumbled across the top 100 bars in the world, and I've now been making progress going to the top 100 bars. I think I've been to about 35 of the top 100 bars in the world now. And it's cool because it gives you a frame of reference. Like you can start, you know, comparing and contrasting something you saw at one bar versus another. And you end up, you know, not only going to, you know, cities or places you might not have gone to otherwise, but you start seeing different aspects of cities. You know, I think there's, you know, nine or 10 of the top 100 bars in the world are in London. And so we went to all these different neighborhoods and I might not have seen otherwise that just kind of made the experience that much more fulfilling for me. Do you have a list, a running list of your reviews of all the top 35 bars? No, I've actually got a blog post drafted about it that I'm going to publish soon about kind of like, you know, my favorite drink, my favorite whiskey, the weirdest bar, the hardest to get into, the most expensive drink, all that kind of stuff, which I think is going to be kind of fun. One of the things I love about the quest idea, just setting things up into this sort of manner is because when you get it set up like that, it gives you a fake reason for people to say yes to you. Yeah. Um, So one of the things in Persuasion, I think uh, Robert Caldini says, if you give people a fake because a lot of times people would say, yes, you're in front of me in the line for the water fountain. Hey, Sean, can I cut a line? You're probably going to say no. Hey, Sean, can I cut a line? Because, and you can say whatever you want after because, you just have to say because. You say, can I cut a line because I'm thirsty? And people are something like 30% more likely to like let you do whatever you're doing. And with this stuff, it's like, you know, if you just ask someone, hey, could you get me into that golf club? Probably not because yeah. a lot of people are asking that. But if you say, hey, I have this story that I'm building. I'm going to the 100 best golf clubs in the world. Would you be able to help me be part of this? Yep. People say, yes, that's awesome. I'm interested. And every single one of those people, especially people that, you know, maybe they're members of some of these exclusive courses, when they take me out and they, you know, allow me to experience that with them, then they become part of the story. You know, I tell the story about how I played such and such course with them and the cool experiences we have. And I think that's been one of the the most fun things about it. I look same thing with the bars. Like I've been, you know, to like I said, I've been to about 35 of the top 100 and most of those have all been with different people. And, you know, kind of randomly, like there was one that kind of random story. I was with my friend Ryan, the same guy that went to Brazil with way back when this was last year. We went to uh, Oktoberfest in Munich. And there was two, but we only went to one of them, top 100 bars in uh, Munich. And we were pretty drunk from Oktoberfest. And we were like stumbling around the city. And we ended up in this bar. And I looked at the menu and I realized, holy crap, this is one of the top bars that I wanted to go to on this trip. (laughs) And I didn't even realize we were there. And then you start talking to the bartender and telling him the story. And he's like, oh, I'm going to bring out something special for you. And so it's just led to so many kind of serendipitous circumstances and really just cool stories. And that's what it all comes down to. It also gives you a, a good place to start looking for cool things. When you show up in a city, you know what you're looking for. And you might find cool food spot next to that amazing bar. But like you have a place, you have a reference point and a place to start at well, and um, way to organize things around it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's been, you know, to kind of go even further with it, it's been such a good thing, both the golf quest and the, you know, cocktail quest uh, for building rapport. You know, If all of a sudden, you know, someone that's into golf hears about it, then instantly, you know, they're interested and you have something to talk about. You know, a lot of times, like if I'm in a bar here in Portland, I'll start talking to the bartender and it might come up and they'll be like, oh, I know such and such bartender at this bar. You should go. And there's been so many crazy stories where we've met people literally across the world and said, oh, yes, you know, such and such back in New York told us we should meet you. And then you have this great conversation and they start treating you like friends as opposed to that random dude sitting at the bar. And there's just been I've built so many friendships, so many relationships through these experiences that I never anticipated. I, I when I started both of these it was kind of for myself, but it's really become more of a, a communal thing and been able to share a lot with people. 
I found that with uh, the 777 project when yeah. I was doing that, that people, the story would really draw them in. Then I'd either meet people that are like, hey, I've got this race you should check out or we'll do it together. Or, hey, there's this, uh, our organization runs a, a race in Haiti or something like that. And you should come on out for it. And I found just by organizing something into a story that people can kind of comprehend, one, it makes your life better. And then two, it people just want stuff like that. They're dying. They're watching Kim Kardashian stuff because they want drama. And if you can create that type of drama in your life, not, you know, why'd you throw my phone in the pool or whatever, you know, whatever they're talking about. If you can create like actual drama with real stakes or, you know, even something that's just compelling, people really drawn to it in a way that opens up a lot more doors and it starts to get easier to be get into some of the golf clubs that you've tried to get into that if you just try to go, just try to go to one golf club, probably pretty difficult you try to say i'm going to 100 and yours is one of them so you should let me in it gets a little easier well and it's you know i've found that you know i've been inspired by other people you know again we go back to chris chris had a goal of going to every country in the world by the time he was 35 mm-hmm. so that's where i i kind of got the idea for it's like oh like what could my quest be you know seeing you do the 777 it's like i look at that it's like oh that's inspiring i want to do my own thing and so you know there's been a number of people that have kind of come up and it's like oh i was inspired by you doing your bucket list or i was inspired by your golf quest and i'm doing my own version of that and so to see the ripple effect it's had has been been pretty cool when did you start the the bar thing i never really made the decision like oh i'm going to do this but actually i take it back i can tell you the exact moment it happened it was probably 2014 I was in New York City with my friend Dan Jarvis, and it was like 11 p.m., and he lived in Chelsea at the time, and I came across a CNN article talking about how the new list of the 50 best bars in the world came out. And number two is a bar called The Dead Rabbit, and it was way downtown near like Battery Park in uh, Manhattan. And I said, Dan, it was a Sunday night at like 11 o'clock. I was like, Dan, you want to go on an adventure? You want to go to the second best bar in the world? And he's like, yeah, of course I do. So we hopped in a cab and we went down there. And so that was the very, the very first top 50 bar that I went to. That's all. Awesome. And then from there, it's just kind of snowballed. I don't actually have this laid out as a quest, but it's just like my unofficial thing I do when I show up in places now is uh, it started right around the same time. Like the when you were in Chicago in 2014 or are we going rooftop bars? Rooftop here? bars. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you, you show up in town and you're like, I don't know what to do. I, I showed up in Singapore for 24 hours. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to do for 24 hours in Singapore. And then I was like, Okay, what are the best rooftop bars? And there's like some really awesome ones. We've got, we've got so. a new one here in Portland. I think, you know, research. Research? Yeah, we need to do some research. That's business expense, right? Oh, I thought you said that was the name of the bar. Oh, no. <laughs> Export is the name of the bar. We should do, uh, we can do our bonus podcast. <laughs> What's coming up on your bucket list? Do you have anything else that you're really aiming to do? Or are you focused really on the golf project at this point? You know, I've been bouncing around from, like, I think that's one of the cool things about having... You know, some people will say it lacks focus, and if you actually want to accomplish or finish something, you need to be focused, and there's a lot of truth to that. For me, none of these are, whether it's the cocktails, the golf, or the bucket list, it's not about finishing it. It's very much in the journey, and they're always evolving. You know, the golf list changes every two years. The cocktail list changes pretty dramatically every year. My bucket list should be updated. It's been a while since I've updated it. So... I'm just kind of taking every opportunity I have to have a cool experience, whether it's, you know, any one of those three or something completely different. But, you know, one of the things that's on my radar is, you know, I've kind of got my wife into the whole cocktail thing. We travel a lot and now she's been to all but like three or four of the same ones that I've been to. And there's a few hot spots. New York's a hot spot, London's a hot spot, and randomly Singapore's a hot spot. So it's like eight or nine of the top 100 are in Singapore. So we're talking about sometime in the next month or two, just taking a three-day trip, four-day trip to Singapore to go to these bars, which kind of makes us sound like alcoholics, but it's <laughs> you know, it's just kind of a cool experience. So that's definitely something that's on my radar. Got a few golf courses coming up that are, you know, kind of top 20 in the world that yeah. we'll be playing uh, this summer that I'm pretty excited about. And I want to go drive a Ferrari. I'm going to figure out how to make okay. that happen. You can make that happen. Yeah. There you go. What's been the hardest? Like, you've been doing this, what, eight years? Nine years? Yeah, like nine years. What's uh, What's been the hardest part or the biggest challenge you've had to deal with? Oh, there's so many. You know, one, consistency. You know, consistency is, like, I'm not a very consistent person with anything in my life, whether it's eating well, whether it's exercising, whatever it is. I've been remarkably consistent with the blog. 
And that's why it's had the success that it has, but it hasn't necessarily come easy. <laughs> you know, forcing yourself to work on it for 10 minutes one day, even though you don't want to, forcing yourself to sit down and write when you're in the back of a van, you know, in the middle of nowhere in Thailand kind of thing, because you have a deadline to hit or whatever it is. You know, consistency is the thing that kills most new people. You know, you'll be excited about it for a month or two, and then you'll hit a, a snag, you'll hit a roadblock, you're not sure what to do, you'll set it aside. You'll stop, you know, being consistent with it, and then you'll never come back to it. So I think that's been one of the tough things. I think that more recently, you know, one of the tough things kind of gets down to, you know, some more personal stuff. So in the sense that I used to always say, given the opportunity, I will choose play over work. You know, it's one of the great things about this lifestyle. If you come up to me and you say, hey, Sean, let's go take a trip to wherever. I was like, that sounds cool. Let's do that. And so that was always kind of the mindset. You know, now as I'm, you know, really now I've got multiple businesses and less free time to kind of do that. You know, it's funny how the more success you have, the more work that comes along with it. So, you know, I've, I've changed that mindset, but a lot of people, you know, you get a lot of friends or family or, you know, people that also don't have nine to five jobs. You're the go-to person when someone has a random Tuesday off and they want to hang out or they mm -hmm. want to do something. And they just kind of, a lot of the times there's an assumption that you're free. And I have a tough time saying no. I always like to see people and do things. And so I think that's been a challenge I've had lately from a lifestyle perspective where there is no shortage of opportunities, you know, whether it's, you know, to take trips or to hang out or to meet people or do things or whatever it is. And you're constantly bombarded with that. And you want to say yes all the time, but you can't. As soon as you start doing that, you know, the business suffers and you go broke and all that kind of stuff. But I think that's been one of the challenges I've been facing lately is just time management and learning how to, you know, set aside the time for myself and my business that I know I need if I want to continue to have success with it. Mm, that's good. Has there been anything, any big projects or any time in the last nine years or whatever that you either quit something or you really wanted to quit something that you ended up following through on? Good question. We like pause the podcast while, <laughs> while I think about an answer to this one. I would say with Location Rebel, there's been times, you know, been doing it for, again, like blog's been around for nine years. I wouldn't necessarily say that I ever really thought I was going to just quit altogether. But there's certainly been times where I'm like, man, maybe I should try and sell this. Maybe I should focus full time on the golf stuff as that's gaining traction. You know, I think that's one of the things that is tough when you do something for nine years, anything, at some point you get to the point where maybe you're a little bit jaded, you know, you're a little burnt out where it's like, man, I've written every which way I can think of for how to build a lifestyle business. Um, I've helped, you know, answer the same questions thousands of times. And you kind of get to a point where it's like, man, like, you know, do I want to keep going or how do you do this? And, you know, I've kind of found that whenever I get to that point, I try and take a step away for a couple weeks, you know, for me, like taking my wife through her work, uh, she got a 10 year sabbatical. So after she was at her job for 10 years, they said, you can have six weeks off paid. Uh, you can tack vacation days onto that. So we took two months and did a full round the world trip, went all over the place. And during that time, I kind of stepped away from location rebel. You know, I kind of just did, you know, what I had to do to maintain it. But when I got back, I was so reengaged. I had so many more ideas for it. I was so excited about it. That time off was the best thing that, that could have happened. So I would say, that probably wasn't necessarily the answer you were looking for. It's interesting because there's a lot of people that started, you know, I think you started about a year before I started blogging. And there's well, a lot of people that started right around the same time as me or right around the same time as you. And they went through that phase. I want to burn out and quit 18 months in. It's interesting to see what it is that keeps people going, how people can rejuvenate themselves, get new ideas find that next step and and keep pushing well and i think that i had a big realization this lifestyle is a privilege not a right i'm very privileged and we are very privileged to have the flexibility that we do and even when things get hard or you kind of want to quit or you don't want to do it it's like you look at the opportunity we've been given and the chance to help people and the chance to have fulfilling lifestyles for ourselves and that's something that's pretty rare not many people get that opportunity and you kind of realize it's like oh i'm complaining about this when there's a lot of other people that, you know, don't have it nearly, you know, as well off. And so. Well, the other thing is that like a lagging and like everything where you're at right now is a lagging indicator of the work you've done for maybe the last 18 to 24 months. And so sometimes it's tempting to look at like, oh, I can just relax because business is good and things are OK. But that's not necessarily a direct reflection of what you're doing right now. It's all the, you know, kind of the payoff from what you've been doing for the last couple of years. And so you're like, if I keep just 
taking a real chill. <laughs> it's not going to keep doing this. And so, uh, what about you as someone who's gone through like all sorts of physical adventures, you know, business, like you've had also like, what's a time that you either quit or wanted to, and how did you persevere? I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. might've done it a while ago, but there was a point where I was going to, the lawsuits had finished up and it'd been a long time since I'd been running. So I got hurt. The lawsuits happened. The lawsuits took like a year and a half. And then I was like maybe two years into launching 777. We'd raised like 30 grand. I had one race done. And I was just like, kind of had a look in the mirror. I was like, are you going to go back out there and yeah. do it? Because <laughs> if you go, you either have to go now or you just have to like, be like, yeah, not doing it. And so that was one of those times where I was just like, and I don't know. I mean, that was a, that was a rough time. I'll, I'm going to have a full podcast on the, the lawsuit situation some point in the future with my lawyer and it's going to be it's either going to be really interesting or really boring so we'll see how that goes but um <laughs> i finished that and it was one of those things where you get done with it and you're second guessing a lot of things and all of a sudden instead of just being oh i'm just operating like normal you have a lot more i don't know if it's insecurity but you're you're just questioning a lot more things and and there's like way more uncertainty and i don't want to like diminish people who actually have it but it, I said in a way I had a like post like lawsuit PTSD where I was just like small things would happen. I'd freak out about it. And that wasn't, you know, my demeanor beforehand. And so I just was this big experience and I was looking at seven, seven, seven. I'm like, I got six races left to do. Antarctica is coming up like four months. That's a hundred K you haven't run in six months. Like, you know, it was something like that. Yeah. And I think I ended up, I ran, Chicago, which was the first ultra I'd ever run. So I did that again as part of the project. I don't think I even announced it until like the day of running it because I was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. And so I ended up doing it and it wasn't really pretty. And I, uh, it was pretty rough when I realized, okay, it was tough, but I I can figure it out. Is there something that like a flip that switched? Like, why did you finally make the decision to do it? Was it because I'm going to do what I said I was going to do? Was it a personal challenge? Like, what was it? It's probably the, once I say something, like, I have to do it. I'm pretty slow to say I'm going to do something. And so if I comes out of my mouth that I'm going to do it, I have to do it. That's such an important, I'm actually, like, literally today was writing a blog post about this. Yeah. That was basically, do what you say you're going to do. Yep. You know, when I was in college, uh, Ryan, same guy I've been talking about, we had a house painting business together. And our joke used to be that people are flaky. If there was the only thing that we learned in college was that people are flaky and, you know, no one ever follows through. No one ever says what they're going to do. And I've come to this realization lately that all of a sudden I've become people. All of a sudden (laughs) I've become flaky because I'm the type of person where I'm very quick to say yes to things. You're like, hey, you want to take this trip? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Hey, you want to start this business with me? Absolutely. Let's do it. And I would say yes very quickly. And then all of a sudden you've committed yourself to all of these different places. And it's like, oh, I can't do all of that. And I got to say no. And I wouldn't be very quick to follow up and say, hey, I actually can't do that. And so now I'm making it a personal goal of mine to, you know, not casually say I want to do something or I will do something just because I'm excited about it to really be thoughtful and say, okay, if I'm going to say yes to this, it is because it is going to happen and I'm going to follow through with that. So I have a ton of respect for the fact that that's how you've been operating for your whole life. Well, I've said a couple times i think that like for me to verbalize something that i'm gonna go do this and so this is actually this is actually bad for promotion and stuff because i found i don't do as good job on marketing things as i should because i i'm a little more hesitant on like deciding it internally and then yeah finally when i decide then i'm just like i'm gonna do it and instead of being like i'm gonna have this one month lead up and tell you exactly and kind of tease it out i'm yep. just like okay i decided today and now I'm going to send out an email today about how I'm doing this and and I really should have more of a plan for a, a launching period right there. Yeah. But uh it's really like once it's verbalized for me, then it's already done. Like I just have to do the work. Yeah. And so that's kind of how I figured it out. And so for me, it was that it was sort of like therapeutic too, after the lawsuit, where I was like, I need to remind myself that I can do stuff again. Totally. Because for a long time I was in like a self paralysis mode where i was like i don't want to do anything because it could be misconstrued in different ways and i don't want to have this used against us in court and so so i was just like i'm just not doing very much at all and 
just getting back in the practice of like, okay, I'm going to say a small thing and then I'm going to do a small thing and then I'm going to do another thing and then I'm going to do another thing. Getting back in the habit of action was a thing for me. And so it was, if that Chicago race went terrible, I might not have done the rest of them. But the fact that I was able to finish and even if it wasn't pretty, I was like, all right, going to try it. And Still if, making progress. If, if I jack my ankle up again, then I jack it up, but <laughs> I'll deal with it. So what has you excited these days? Like what is interesting? to you as far as like either the state of where you see opportunities both with your business or online business or life in general right now you know with both you know breaking 80 and location rebel i've been re-energized lately you know i definitely kind of hit ruts with both of those where i was like okay like a little bit in the weeds not you know totally sure what direction to take and i feel like we've made some changes over the last few months that have got me more excited um i talked i've got another blog post coming out that's kind of talks about how uh, my blog became a commodity. You know, and what I mean by that is you've got all these people as, you know, as I'm trying to figure out how to grow it and how to, you know, expand it and what's next, you start reading, you know, books, you start reading, you know, other blogs, you know, you start reading about ways to grow business and you start following the common advice, you know, create super in-depth how-to guides, you know, things like that. And then you realize it's the same thing everybody else is doing. And there's always going to be someone who's going to do a better version, a longer version, is better at marketing than you and things like that. And so a lot of the soul of the site, I feel like we haven't been putting forth over the last couple of years. You know, I've had a YouTube channel that's kind of started and stopped. And I feel like that's where some of the personality has been. But I've been kind of embracing getting back to basics where it's like, what got the site to the point where it is today? How did it grow in the beginning? And so much of that comes down to the personality and the stories and maybe not this specifically, but like the happy hour posts, like things that uh, just kind of really showed people who I am, what I'm all about. I used to have a lot of travel-related posts, um, and we kind of peeled that back because uh, they didn't necessarily rank as well in search and things like that. But you can't discount the personality and the stories. And so I'm excited to start writing about just some of the things that I'm more excited about. I think that's really important. You should put some of the uh, bar review blogs. I totally agree. I would love to do that. We actually, I've got a couple videos coming out. We took a trip to Tokyo and we went to, you know, six of the best top 100 bars in Tokyo. Got some cool video around some of those. So I think that'll be fun. Are there any in the Pacific Northwest on that list? There is one, Canon in Seattle. It's used to be in the top 50 and it just dropped out. It's like 80 something, but it has got, I believe it has the largest collection of spirits in the entire country. Have you been before? I have. It's fantastic. Oh. I was going to uh, say we should go. It's where I first came across one of my favorite cocktails. Oh, what is it? It is a Stiggins daiquiri. So it's a daiquiri, classic daiquiri, but instead of using regular rum, they use a pineapple rum. Okay. And it is phenomenal. I was going to ask you what your favorite drink was as we wrapped up, but that's, that's the one answer. Or like a smoky old fashioned. You know, there's different ways you can make a smoky old fashioned, but like Isla Scotch, Mezcal, you could do some fun things with that. Yeah, I had a tequila, uh, or a me- it was a Mezcal. You could do Based like a Oaxacan old fashioned, old fashioned yeah. which is tequila nice. and mezcal. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. I guess to answer your question, one last thing. You said, um, where do I see online business going? Yeah. Um, I think one of the big opportunities right now that a lot of people are kind of missing the boat on is the super niche community. You know, there's all sorts of like giant brands that are covering things on a very broad spectrum. They're covering industries. You know, then you've got you know, some smaller brands, and this is where a lot of the blogs, you know, reside where they start covering a niche within an industry. So for instance, with Breaking 80, uh, we don't write about golf as an industry. We specifically do boutique product reviews and course reviews okay. of like top 100 courses. What we ended up doing was creating something called the 80 Club, which is kind of like a niche within a niche, it's super niche community that is specifically for people that are members of private clubs that like to show off their private clubs and have guests out so other people can experience them. They like to travel and play other unique courses across the country and across the world. And they like to geek out, geek out about golf in an online forum. You know, that probably hits 2% of my audience. But for that 2%, it's such a perfect fit mm-hmm. that people are like, here, take my money. I, yeah. I can't wait to be a part of this. And I think there's a big opportunity for people that are, you know, willing to go a little bit farther down the rabbit hole and niche down to appeal to those things where, you know, maybe there's instead of trying to target, you know, hundreds of thousands, you're trying to target a few thousand. But for that few thousand, it's such a perfect fit that you can have a nice little business around it. So I think that's something I would like to see more people taking advantage of. How do you find the niche within the niche? You start with the industry and then you figure out what part of the niche you're most interested in. 
you start talking to readers, you see what people resonate with. You know, it's not something you just kind of come up with out of the blue. It's I think it comes with a, a deep understanding of, you know, your brand and the industry that that you're in. So it's taken a few years of kind of figuring that out with golf stuff and with location rebel stuff. And so it's been good. Awesome. You have anything else? Any other nuggets of ogling wisdom? No, I'd love to just, you know, kind of tell all sorts of humiliating Joel stories, but oh, gosh. it probably is is not the uh the time or the place coming on his show and just making fun of him mercilessly. The uh that that might be for a bonus podcast yeah. if we do that. <laughs> cool man. Well let's wrap it up. Uh I think we're uh gonna grab a cocktail and maybe a, a cold bath. I think yeah, knot go springs. Uh, go do some knot springs and let's do, do a cold plunge. Forty five degrees. Yeah, that's cold, but it's awesome. Yes. Sweet man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to do it. All right, there we go. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show with Sean Ogle. It was my first time doing a sit-down, in-person podcast. I've got a lot more of those lined up. I picked up Dan Andrews from Tropical NBA's portable podcast setup. Shout out to Dan, and uh, it's helping a ton. So I'm being able to sit down face-to-face with people, having a lot of fun doing it, and it's going to be happening a lot more here soon. If you guys enjoyed the show, I'd love a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to podcasts these days. It is the number one way that people find out about the show, and it helps me keep doing it. So leave a rating, review, five stars if you can. If it's not five stars, just email me. Tell me what I can do better, and I'll read your email, and I'll take your feedback. Cool? All right. If you guys want to support the show in other ways, support yourself. Get an Impossible shirt. The most comfortable way to do something uncomfortable. Then when you go do something impossible, knock something off your impossible list, take a photo of you doing that, send it in, and I'll share it on Instagram. I'll share it on the blog so we can keep inspiring people to push their limits and do the things they say they want to do. Also, check out Movable app, 10-minute mobility routines to help you get stronger, get healthy, and fix your injuries. You guys can't keep training injured. Fix yourself, fix your body, get yourself back to normal so you can start training get stronger, and moving better. That's why we called it Move Well. So check that out. Again, guys, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. All the ratings, all the reviews mean a ton to me. So appreciate you guys listening, taking the time. And until next week, keep pushing your limits and do something impossible. possible.